Welcome to Season 2 of Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. More or less, you just heard the history of modern video game music in the first 60 seconds of this episode, and it all came from the mind of Martin O'Donnell. Marty started working for Bungie in the 90s. At the time, Bungie was an independently owned game developer in Chicago, on the cusp of creating one of the most influential video games ever. In 2000, Microsoft bought Bungie, and released Halo Combat Evolved in November of 2001. Marty wrote the music for Halo CE and for four of the five subsequent Halo games. This November marks the 10th anniversary of Halo's release, and Marty O'Donnell experienced each step along the way. In fact, Marty has so much insight into the development, growth, and the music of the series, we'll share this conversation with you in two parts. Thank you very much for uh, doing this. I really appreciate your time and uh, um, have been very much looking forward to speaking with you. Oh, it's my pleasure. So we will start at the very beginning. I want to know how you got involved in video game music and how that got you to land at Bungie. Mm-hmm. Wow, the very beginning. Of course, I I got my master's degree in music composition from USC, and then I came back to Chicago and uh, started a music company there that produced music for um, commercials and and film. The whole time I was doing that, I was interested in playing games, so I played a lot of PC games and and games on the Mac. Believe it or not, there were games on the Mac. (laughs) And uh, when the consoles came out, and I mean like the Nintendo console, this is how far back this goes, I bought them, of course, for my kids, and then I played them to death myself. So I was always a gamer at the same time doing uh, music composition for my career. It was in 1993 that I uh, came across a game through a, a friend of mine called Myst, and it was prior to the game actually shipping. I had a, a sort of an in with uh, one of the guys that worked there. Mm-hmm. I, I played a beta of the game Myst, uh, like all night long, and... <laughs> At that moment, I realized, okay, somebody was finally getting it. It was no longer, you know, the 8-bit uh, synthesized chip tunes that, I mean, I have nostalgia for, but mm-hmm. never uh, was interesting to me as a composer. And I heard some music in Mist that just sounded like it was at the beginning of a sort of traditional film score, telling a story with music that was recorded nicely. And that really uh, intrigued me, so I used my connection with my friend and said, I need to meet these guys. And I was able to meet them, Robin and Rand Miller in Spokane, Washington, and ended up being the uh, basically the audio director for the sequel to Mist, which was called Riven. That's pretty much exactly how I got in. So I, I saw it in 93, heard it in 93, um, started working on figuring out how to weasel my way into the industry. And by 96, I was uh, 
I was doing work. One of the bedrocks of your halo music is how you've combined sounds of old music like uh, Gregorian chant or plain chant and mm -hmm. Sufi music, but alongside electronic music. And in a lot of ways, it seems like a metaphor for the game itself, right? You have space-age combat butting up against this ancient uh, alien religion. So how, exactly. did, how did that process evolve for you? Well, it's interesting. I mean, you just used two of the words that uh, were bandied about right at the beginning when uh, the writer at Bungie, Joe Staten, came to me. And, and I had been working as the audio guy at at Bungie on uh, some previous titles. Myth, The Fallen Lords was the first title I did for Bungie. And so I was working on Halo, the, the early stages of Halo, and we knew we were going to have a presentation at Macworld in 1999, and uh, we were going to have like a little demonstration of the game in real time, and there was no audio that worked yet. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, okay, I said, let's, let's play music that goes along with it and tells the story. You know, what, what kind of uh, emotions are we trying to get across? And, and Joe just, I remember him saying those exact words, ancient, alien, and epic, I believe. just sort of latched onto those three words. I had had the weekend to compose it, and um, I decided to use uh, some of my Chicago Symphony friends and some of my jingle singer friends and, and, <laughs> and actually do a, a, a pretty decent production uh, with live players and singers mm -hmm. on Monday morning and then play the CD for the guys that afternoon. And they were getting on a plane to New York, and there was uh, they were either going to use it or throw it away. So yeah. uh, I'm glad they used it. For Halo Combat Evolved, that music was mostly recorded uh, using synthesizers and uh, other digital equipment. And I actually have a couple of different questions about that specific sure. piece of it. Was it the success of the first Halo that encouraged you to record with live orchestra for Halo 2? If by success you mean we now had bigger budgets, yes. Mm -hmm. Yes, <laughs> yes. So I had, uh, I think on Halo 1, the main theme was recorded with... Uh, Live players. So, like I said, it was probably 20 strings, a group of four singers, I believe, maybe five singers. Mm -hmm. And then we went back in and recorded more as, as we were developing, and I, and I used the same players for several pieces. And then would, you know, maybe lift a cello part and put synth over the top of it or sampled strings along with, you know, other things. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a lot of mixing and matching, which I still do. I think it's a... A very valid way of, of doing work, especially when you need, in a game, you need so much music, and a lot of times it's happening so close to the end that you really just don't have as much time as you'd like to score something with temp music and then go back in and record it for real. Thank you. 
Once we were bought by Microsoft and we realized we were going to be a Xbox launch title, mm-hmm. I think I was able to go back to Chicago, record a few more times with some musicians, and then most of the rest of the music was samples and synths. With Halo 2, the, the goal was, let's see if we can actually have a bigger percentage be live. And we had the budget to do it. Yeah, and you, you then pretty much more than doubled what you had for live, right? You had about 50? Yeah. Did I read? Yep. Oh, uh-oh. You did more homework than I did. did the process of writing and recording then change for you if you used, you know, that many more live musicians for the second game compared to the first? Well, to me, the most important thing is that the music that I write and the the engine that I use to play the music back. So we, we've always been very uh, uh, interested in making sure that we're not just playing music, but that we're having adapted playback of music. The music should adapt to the player's actions and choices. Mm-hmm. And in, in order to do that, there's a lot of post-production that has to happen even after you've recorded music and, and breaking it out into the stems and sticking it into a system that we have so that, that the music can adapt to your particular play style and timing. Uh, because of that, you, you have to have that stuff recorded well ahead of time. But at the same time, you also have to have a game that's that's playable. So I'm always the guy write it, you know, as close to the edge of the deadline as possible before I'm even writing some of the music because I want to write music that seems truly appropriate and and is scored to what I think the game is trying to do. What that means is that I have to try to push the guys to get something in my hands that I can play and really understand and go through with the designers to understand what the story is and what the mood is and what the emotions are. And once we get to that point, I can write music and then quickly as possible produce it with live orchestra. So I need some extra people to, you know, here here's my temp tracks and here's my MIDI files and mm-hmm. here's my, my short scores. Uh, you know, score it, make the parts, schedule mm-hmm. the musicians, and let's record this stuff. So I, I try to still get as close to the end deadline as possible so that the music is really, really appropriate. But some of the big pieces, especially for, you know, the marketing pieces or the big PR trailers and so forth, uh, I have more time to to play around with those things ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of that music ends up showing up in some form in the game anyway, so that helps. It's interesting because a lot of the composers I've spoken with like having months and months to work on the music while the game is being developed. Mm-hmm. But you're very adamant about, 
you want the game to be as done as it can be so you can see the arc of the story and then you want to write your music. Well, you know what? You have not talked to any composers who are in-house audio directors yet. <laughs> <laughs> you are correct. I know these people, and they're they're <laughs> friends of mine. And and actually, I've even worked a little bit with Laura Cartman, and and I know Enon, and and mm -hmm. like you're going to talk to Jeremy, and and these are are people who are just terrifically talented composers, but they're not inside the game development studio, which which gives them a little bit of a disadvantage. And this is not a, a some sort of competitive thing I'm talking about. Sure. Just from a creative standpoint, I believe that the closer I can be to the development process, the better I know the designers and the writers and the cinematic people, the more I can be uh, helping to, you know, even make some of the choices dramatically that will determine what kind of music is actually done. And I, I'm sort of known at Bungie as... Uh, and besides being the oldest guy at Bungie, I'm also I've uh, cultivated the prima donna uh, persona as much as I possibly can, only to sort of scare these guys from ever like criticizing me. So, uh, sure. <laughs> well, but but what I really like is that that I can have a vision for the music, and it's a vision that's informed by the amount of time I've spent developing the game and and directing the actors and understanding the story and directing the sound design. And so I think that even with film scoring, and this is something I learned with scoring films, is if films, the score usually is one of the last things to come in uh, in the post-production process. In the game development process, a lot of times people who don't have in-house composers will months ahead of time say, we need 30 minutes of walking around music, and we need 30 minutes of magical forest music, and mm -hmm. we need 30 minutes of battle music. And the composers will basically get maybe some pictures or concept art or maybe some very preliminary video. Mm -hmm. And they have to compose to that. And that's it's amazing how incredible the music is when they compose with that. But that that's almost like being asked to write a music library for somebody else to determine how to use it. Yeah. And that's just not the way I want to do it. Now, there are guys at Bungie that wish I did it that way because they would somehow <laughs> feel more relaxed and comfortable thinking I'm, I'm not going to push the deadline. Sure. Uh, but I fight back on that, and I use my, <laughs> my prima donna uh, persona to, to keep pushing. We'll see how long that works. <laughs> Good for you. So for that reason, the fact that you're in-house, that, that puts you mm -hmm. in a unique position by itself. But you're also in a unique position having been the guy for the franchise since its inception, basically. Right. So as you look back, how do you feel that you've changed or grown as a composer as the franchise has changed and grown? Wow, that's a really good question. I certainly wrote a lot of music for films and television from the early 80s until I switched to... Um, working on games. Uh, the thing that really attracted me about working in the game industry was that I knew that content was going to just continue to, to uh, increase, that, that 
the memory and the CPU speeds and all these things were going to get better and better so that, that fidelity and amount of content was just going to continue to double and quadruple. And the other thing is just the ability to <laughs> break out of the 30-second and 60-second uh, box that I was in for doing so many commercials. Yes. I was really uh, very excited about being able to do, you know, three, four, five, six-minute long pieces. Sure. As a composer, it just, just helped me relax back into that that mode of not thinking of the perfect hook or the perfect jingle uh, length thing. And uh, I think it's taken me a while, but over the last 10 years especially, it's been really great to just know that I can stretch out and have longer themes and, and pieces that take more time to develop. And uh, I hope I keep growing in that way. I, I sort of came to this uh, industry a little bit late in terms of my age so I'm not sure how much I, I still have in, in the uh, ability to develop and mature, but uh, I'm trying. <laughs> For Halo 3, you chose to introduce piano to the soundtrack. And the more soundtracks I get to dig into, the more I find that that's really unusual. I mean, I guess the the one that I can think of off the top of my head that's very piano heavy would be Heavy Rain. Mm-hmm. Um, so what made you... Great score. Oh, man, it's so beautiful. What yeah. made you choose piano, uh, and how do you feel that that enhanced the score and the story of that particular uh, game? I started on piano, and, and piano is my favorite instrument, and I'm a, I was a piano major before I switched to composition. I remember getting some piano in even into the very first bungee game that I worked on, which was Myth, The Fallen Lords. guys like well wait a minute what is this piano that's not gonna work and and I said no trust me this will this will work just keep it in there and it became it was a, a little piece called the siege of madrigal a very simple little piece and uh you know of course kind of poignant and uh it, it became one of the fans favorite so I felt vindicated by you know fighting for keeping the piano in mm-hmm. but in the halo universe once we went with the sort of the ancient monk chants and the and the epic orchestral thing and the big pounding drums. Uh, I remember I had a love theme from Halo that I wrote for Halo 1, and it was all piano, and it was extremely romantic. Mm. But of course, that never happened, and there was no, no part of the story that supported <laughs> it, and it was just sort that. of silly. <laughs> so it never showed up anyplace. Sure. But I've always was waiting for some some really great you know poignant moments to uh, to use the piano in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in Halo Two I got a chance to do some when Steve Vai came in and played guitar. I, I had a session with him and he played some just screaming great stuff. Um, <laughs> I went back into the studio and and cut a lot of his leads together, and then I played piano under it as pretty pounding rhythm piano underneath, mm-hmm. uh, and that was a lot of fun.
moments for sort of a poignant, majestic sounding piano, I think really became more apparent on Halo uh, 3. Mm -hmm. It was a little bit of a risk at the time. I remember starting the announcement trailer with just single octaves on a piano that just went bong. And uh, I thought, well, nobody else is probably going to start any of these trailers at E3 uh, (laughs) that way. So at least we'll get people's attention. But um, it, it ended up being pretty cool. It seems like putting piano in in game scores is just one more way for the fans to be able to interact because it gives them something they can play. Right. You know, unless you're doing orchestral reductions or, or you know, piano reductions, I mean, of, of right. your scores. And I, I mean, because, you know, while you were speaking, I was also thinking of the piece Gary Scheiman wrote for Bioshock, um, mm-hmm. the Sander Cohen scene. And just how many people have recorded that and uploaded that to YouTube? It's just yeah. such a great opportunity for fans to be playing your music, you know, because it's yeah. something that a lot of people take when they're a kid. It's interesting that you would say that because I remember when I first started working with Bungie on Myth, I looked at what the story was, I looked at what they were trying to do, and I really felt strongly that a, a sort of plaintive, sad uh, cello line was going to be really effective. But I, here I'm working with these guys who are Average age, probably 25, 26. And at the time, they were, you know, techno and, and maybe rock, but it was like techno and, and, and rap and stuff. That mm-hmm. was what they, that was their diet of music. So I came in with this cello stuff, and, and one of the guys just said, Oh, Marty, that cello rocks. <laughs> I thought, Okay, good. <laughs> One of the things I was hoping was that, you know, this is a medium that is primarily consumed and, and enjoyed by people that skew younger. And, and I'm not, I don't have some sort of altruistic educational bent here, but I, I just feel like there's a lot of really great kinds of music and styles of music that kids don't get exposed to very much. And if, if they're going to be playing hours and hours of games and they're actually hearing some pretty decent music that's outside their comfort zone, that's an added bonus in my opinion. So. So the Halo Reach score seems to be a departure from the previous games. Was that a natural progression for you, or did you consciously try for a different sound? I don't always examine my motives as I'm going along. And, sure. And uh, part of it was I, I had done so many hours of music already. I'm like, oh my gosh, here I have to do Halo again. <laughs> and what can I do that's new and different? And and I had taken a real departure with the previous one, ODST, where I'd, I'd sort of kept it most of it smaller and sort of a film noir feel and detective and even had a saxophone and, and piano and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I knew that when we're coming back to Reach, it was a, a, a an epic story of a, of a 
a planet that was going to fall. It was sort of um, like this, the Titanic story. Everybody knew how it was going to end. The, you know, the ship sinks. Yes. And um, there was also a, a, a bit of an ethnic element to the fact that this was a planet that we were never leaving. We were going to stay on the planet Reach the whole time. And there were settlers there that had a sort of, some sort of vague Hungarian background. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to just throw in just a tiny bit of uh, an ethnic feel. And somehow as I started developing tunes and, and orchestrations, it, it just seemed like it got bigger and bigger, like more of, more woodwinds and more brass. And mm-hmm. um, and darker. And darker, yeah. And it, it just sort of asked to be that way, I guess. I didn't sit down ahead of time with a, and consciously decide to do something more symphonic. It just sort of started turning into that. Bungie decide to begin releasing the soundtracks because at the time of the first Halo soundtracks release, it certainly wasn't industry practice to sell soundtracks from video games. That is a great question. So obviously I came from a different industry when I got into the game industry and the first full game, uh, the first game that I did all the music on was Myth of Fallen Lords in 1997. And they weren't even going to have very much music in that game. And, uh, they asked me to direct some narration, and uh, I hired an actor that I knew who had a nice British accent, and he was a great mm-hmm. voice, and he did all this narration, and I said, look, this narration he's doing really needs to be scored. Let me put some music under it. And they're like, oh, I don't know, music? <laughs> so I, I scored one of these pieces of narration, and, and they were like, oh, we love that. Can we just use that same piece you know, 20 more times? I'm like, no, no, no. The reason you love it is because I'm telling the story of the narration musically, I needed to do 20 different pieces. So they said, okay, kind of reluctantly, (laughs) because at the time there wasn't a lot of budget and, you know, whatever. By the time we were done with that game, I looked at it and I was like, wow, there's, you know, 40 minutes of music here. We should release that as a soundtrack. So I went to the guys and I said, "Let's, let's release a soundtrack. And they said, sure. So we printed up the CDs and we split the money and it worked out really well. But that was just little old Bungie in Chicago, and people bought them off the web, and mm-hmm. and that's how that went. By the time we got to Microsoft, we were already in the habit of making sure that our fans, if they wanted to buy the soundtrack, that they could. When we finished Halo 1, Microsoft had no plans to release a soundtrack. So I went to them and I said, look, this is what we've done in the past. It works well. I think the fans would love it. And it took quite a while for the bureaucracy of a, a big corporation like Microsoft to realize mm-hmm. that this is something they should do. So Halo 1 soundtrack came out maybe four or five months after the game was released. And it corresponded with me saying, we should release a soundtrack, we should release a soundtrack, come on, here it is. And Microsoft having no experience in doing this. And meanwhile, out of New York, uh, Niall Rogers, who's a spectacular <laughs> music producer, mm-hmm. had heard the the music in the game and said, this should be a soundtrack. So he was <laughs> contacting Microsoft saying that he wanted to develop a company that released soundtracks and he wanted to start with Halo 1. 
And I was inside Microsoft saying, please, we should release a soundtrack. And finally, like two, three months after uh, the game shipped, uh, I had a meeting with Nile Rodgers at Microsoft. And uh, he's like, Marty, I've been looking for you this whole time. Where have you been? <laughs> and I'm like, I've been looking for you. Release the soundtrack. So uh, that's how that happened. And his his company now has released probably just about every soundtrack for all the major games. It's, it's yes. been a very successful uh a company and and the place to go to get game soundtracks. So, yeah, it seems like sort of I'm a pioneer in that, but it's just the logical thing. It's the thing that mm-hmm. should happen. It was certainly happening in Japan for years and years. Yes. Uh, before we did it here in America, so we didn't invent anything new. It's just, just logical. Since there are now now at this point six Halo games, and you did five of them, correct? Right. Right. What did you find out of those five games uh, that was the biggest challenge for you over the years? You know, the biggest challenge for me was approaching each game with a fresh compositional attitude. Uh, once you have something successful and once fans are screaming for more of that and more of that, whatever it is, sometimes you have to close your ears to those cries. because I want more monks. I want more pounding things or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's always hard for me to start at the beginning of a project and and have some sort of grand and glorious uh, vision for what it's going to end up being. And that's just not the way I compose. I I tend to like small motives and and little interesting ideas that are kind of short and and see where they develop and where they take me. And to get back into that space where I have a blank sheet and uh, I try not to rely on past success is sometimes difficult to do because there are times when you, it's like, oh, I absolutely need to do that sort of master chief standing up theme again mm-hmm. here and uh and and a lot of times that's really appropriate and good but approaching it with a sort of a fresh creative sense is is the hardest part for me i just sometimes you just you just sort of get tired sure <laughs> when i get excited when i actually put my hands on the keyboard and some little thing comes out that is actually causes an emotional response in me, then I know I'm okay. And uh, um, I know I can keep going uh, as long as, as that still happens. I'm in good shape. been listening to Top Score from Classical Minnesota Public Radio. I'm Emily Reese. Our technical director is Sam Keenan. You can hear part two of Top Score's interview with Marty O'Donnell next week. Be sure to send us your comments and questions at classicalmpr.org slash topscore, or you can follow us on Twitter and Tumblr at Top Score Podcast. Sam. Hi. How are you? Doing okay, you know. <laughs> Good, we're rolling then? Yep. Okay. I'm Emily Reese. I'm here with Sam Keenan, who is, of course, the technical director for Top Score. So a few weeks ago, we had this puzzle, uh, and I, I guess I made it a little bit tricky, but I really hope you enjoyed it. And the idea behind this puzzle was that 
we mixed together seven different pieces of music by seven different video game composers, and you had to guess who the composers were. Right. We, we wanted you to see if, if you could figure out who was going to be on the show this fall. And we got a lot of responses, uh, but I, I'm really interested to know, Sam, how many you ended up getting right. I think I got actually a total of one right. You did? Yes. It was the one that wasn't a video game. Okay. Yeah. So here are the answers. Um, I'm going to tell you all the games, and then I'm going to tell you all the composers. So number one was from Halo 3. Number two was from Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. Number three was from Elder Scrolls IV Oblivion. Four was Uncharted 2 Among Thieves. Number five was Battlestar Galactica. Six was Flow. And number seven was Resistance 2. So number one, of course, we know is Marty O'Donnell. We've we've just listened to him talking about um, his experiences working for Bungie and Microsoft on that franchise. Uh, Number two for Assassin's Creed Brotherhood. This was the one, Sam, that like almost nobody got. Was that the really short clip? It wasn't that short. It was like the chimes. Jesper Kidd, super amazing composer. He's been with Assassin's Creed since it started. Uh, number three, uh, with Oblivion, Jeremy Soule. He's going to be on the show. I'm super excited about that. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg Edmondson, uh, for number four, he wrote the music for Uncharted, the Uncharted games, and, uh, of course, new Uncharted coming out in November. Who doesn't know about that? And Greg Edmondson, also, for you Joss Whedonites out there, I believe wrote some music for Buffy. But not the opening theme song. Uh, for Battlestar Galactica, the, okay, Great show, uh, well worth your time to watch. Bear McCreary did the music for Battlestar, but he also did the music for SOCOM 4 and for uh, Dark Void. Game 6, which was Flow, that was a PSN game, and this one was a little tricky too. Austin Winery did the music for that. He's also doing the music for Journey, which is the newest game coming out from that game company, and they always just have fantastic games with Flow and Flower. Journey is going to be great. And then the last one, Resistance 2, Boris Salcho is going to be on the show actually fairly quickly. Drumroll is that the, the winner we chose at random was uh, CB in California. So congratulations to CB. Chris Barrowman? No. I don't, Kathy Bates? No. <laughs> no. Anyway, huge congratulations to CB. That was a really tough challenge, and uh, you uh, are the proud owner now of a a $60 gift card that you can buy a new game with this fall. Maybe it'll be something that we're going to do a show about. So congrats to you and to everybody else who gave it a shot. Kudos to you as well. So did you have more to say? I just have so little to say. All right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow then. Okay. All right. Bye. Goodbye.